Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Hey guys, Anna here. I have a surprise for you. In short, I am retooling the podcast again. So if you're new to it, welcome. Don't get too used to this. What I'm going to do over the next few weeks as I figure out my next moves, which are going to be big and you're going to love them, I promise, is I'm giving you, I'm re-releasing some of my most popular episodes with people who have gone on in the time since I interviewed them to become podcast, quote, darlings. So the one I'm giving you today is with Lewis Howes. Yeah. When he, when I had him, let's just, let's not say I discovered him, but he was not as huge as he is now. So this, uh, interview was done years ago and it was when the show was called After Party Pod. And though Lewis isn't someone in recovery, he did come on to talk about trauma and it was, a fascinating conversation. Lewis House, in case you've been living under a rock, uh, is the host of the School of Greatness podcast. It's huge. He's been on Ellen. He does live events. He's kind of like, we talk about how he's going to be the new Tony Robbins, and he kind of has become that because I'm a, I'm a psychic? No, nah, not really. Uh, but I am a podcast host who is constantly changing her show, and I am so grateful to you for sticking with me. So stick with me through this oldie but goodie that is very juicy. And if you are listening to these in chronological order, I have t- treats for you the next two weeks of people who have gone on to become huge. Uh, so with that, stay with me. I give you Lewis Howes, an interview from a few years ago. Okay. You must have seen a different picture. I mean, I've spent time on your site, so you'd think that I would be more familiar with it. Um, No, I just told you, I think you are, you are the new Tony Robbins. And I think you are like, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this is that I think you are deeply spiritual. Your message is deeply spiritual without even having that as part of the thing. You know, that's not part of your advertisement, but it is. And when I was going through through a compl- a really dark time, mm-hmm. I would listen to recovery stuff and I would listen to and I would read stuff and nothing resonated, but you did. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I've been going through my own journey over the last year, year and a half. Oh, like, really? Yeah, just kind of like evolving as a human being and doing a lot of personal development and growth and leadership work and emotional intelligence work on myself. Right. Uh, you know, I think everyone goes through ebbs and flows, ups and downs throughout their life. Sometimes we're like unstoppable and other times nothing goes right. So there was, you know, an experience about a year ago, I went through a pretty tough breakup for me. That was emotionally challenging. Right. And I was like, let me reevaluate things and let me look inside and why was this affecting me so much and why didn't it work? And why did I stick in something that didn't work for so long? How long were you with her? Uh, It was about a year. And and we're great friends now. So I I have nothing bad to say about it. It was just like the situation wasn't working for either of us. 
but I was trying to like make it work as a right. competitive athlete, you know, like right. what can I do to be better and what can I do to change and right. hiring love coaches and all these things. You and were like, doing that? I had two love coaches, it was like relationship coaches. And what did you, were you in therapy with the girlfriend? Uh, I actually, we, so I hired two relationship coaches to be like, how can I be a better man? Without her even Without being her even Did knowing. you tell her? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. I think I might even I think I might have told her like, hey, I'm I'm talking to so and so and I'm, you know, whatever. How'd you find your relationship coaches? Uh through like other friends who are right. girls who are like, Oh, you gotta talk to this girl, you know. Right, whatever. right, right. Um and then Yeah, so and then eventually like the last straw is like should we do like couples therapy? Yeah, and that I was should like, not be a last straw. I whatever. I feel like couples therapy could come before the love coaches, but that's probably. just me. Okay. Well, I was kind of like I kind of already knew in my heart like this wasn't going to work out. Right. And because I was just stressed out and emotionally right. drained, but right. I, I was like, I will, I'm willing to give this a go to see if like something will shift, and if it shifts and gets back to like what something what I felt like we had right. at one point, then cool, because nothing was working. Right, and but, the um, therapy didn't. I didn't do anything. I mean, it pretty much confirmed that I was right. And what did you learn from your introspection afterwards? Like, what what was it that had you hooked or that had you trying so hard? That's a good question. I think it was like, I was unclear of what I really wanted. Mm -hmm. And I thought I wanted one thing, but I was doing something differently. And, you know, it's just, I think I was just you know, 29 and, right. you know, whatever. I, I didn't want to have kids and be in a relationship, but I did want a connection right. and intimacy. Right. So it's two mixed signals. So she was ready for the next step. She wasn't. Yeah. She thought she was. <laughs> she thought she was, she was like up and down also. Right. So right. it's kind right. of like two people up and down. It's like, right. how do you create something that's consistent? But you strike me mm. and I've really listened to you a lot and had the pleasure of sitting down with you once before and having a smoothie with you. And that's how you really get to know somebody. But like you struck me, you strike me as a very well adjusted person, Mm -hmm. which is again, why I think you're so important because I don't think you come to this having suffered major tragedy and, and being so dark and lost and having to find your way. You, you're basically, you know, come from a happy family. I mean, you have your, your brother went to to prison Uh when you were a kid. Yeah. But at the same time, it wasn't like he was some terror. It was no, no. practically an accident. Yeah. You know? And, and I mean, it's all perspective. I mean, my childhood was, for me, my perspective was it was extremely emotional. It was really? extremely dramatic and emotional. Well, okay. And you were teased as a kid. Yeah, right? yeah. I was, I mean, I, was, I couldn't read until I was like in high school. Right. I always felt ignorant and, and stupid. And, you know, I'm a, this is the first time I'm saying this publicly, but uh, it's it's going to be on my podcast here soon. But I was when I was five, I was actually raped by a man. Are you serious? And I just started talking about this about four or five months ago, and I and I just did a recording on right. my podcast that's coming out next week. So that's why I feel comfortable sharing with you now. Oh my god! But for 25 years, I didn't tell anyone about it, and I felt this shame and this you know insecurities and this unworthiness. Because of this, one of these experiences. I'm just in shock. I know. Sorry to bring it on you right now. (laughs) I'm so sorry that happened to you. It's okay. I appreciate that. And, and so, and so this just happened. You never told a soul. I told a a sociology professor when I was a freshman in high school, like after a class when he was talking about rape and sexual abuse. And I was like, man, it was, you know, for my entire childhood, it was 
It's kind of like a bad dream. Right, that, right. Know, it's one of my first memories. Mm-hmm. I remember it vividly. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just talked about it when, with him after one of these classes in his, in his office afterwards. Did he even know what to say? Um, I think he's probably experienced stuff like that before. He was very compassionate and, you know, just, just telling me, you know, he, this probably wasn't his first time. Right. Or he's probably done this again. Right. And I didn't know who it was. It was my babysitter's son when I was after kindergarten. I'd go out to the babysitter's after, after class, after school. Right. Across the street or whatever. And... Um, yeah, and he was there one day, and it happened. And I didn't really know what was happening. I knew it wasn't right, but I was just kind of, I was five. Right, right. How old was he? He was probably in his teens, oh I would say. God. Probably oh. like 16 to 20-ish. And uh, I never saw him again. Like, I don't, you know. And would you have nightmares about this? Or you-, um, you know, I would just have memories about it. Like, right. I, could, I could vividly remember what happened right now. Right. But right. it doesn't, you know, for a long time, it really affected me in a negative way. Yeah. And it was just, it was, I wouldn't say that, like, made me who I was as a kid. But it's definitely that and many other instances that verified this ideal in my mind that, you know, people used me or I was abused or you know, whatever my, my conversation was, you know, it wasn't the defining thing, but it was like a number of things I was saying. So I was basically a hundred percent wrong. But I, I, here's the same thing. It's all perspective. I mean, like I grew up and I had, you know, three older siblings who were right. incredible. My parents loved us. Right. Although I didn't feel loved until I was about 14. I knew my parents loved me. Right. Do you think that was related to the abuse? Um, you know, it's just my own conversation yeah, as a kid. Yeah. I was the youngest kid of four. My brother right. went to prison when I was eight. Right. My sisters were older. And it was just like, I wasn't really connected to the family because I was like this young brat. Right. So this is my perception. Right, right. But, you know, they, they loved me. Right. My, every night my dad like put me to sleep. Like he told me he loved me. He was there, you know, he was there for me. He, he showed me he cared. But it was just, I didn't feel it until mm-hmm. I was about like 14. And and then they were also clearly with your your brother being the world's uh, greatest jazz violinist, greatest jazz violinist, and and you doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. They must have somebody was like t- telling you guys to achieve greatness. My dad always was just like you know you can achieve anything you want. Right. He just said that over and over. He like didn't put any limitations on us. He we never celebrated. Uh, he would never let me celebrate my birthday because he didn't believe that we should celebrate age because he thought it would be a limiting factor in wow. achieving what we want to achieve. Whether it's we're too young or too old, he was like, he just didn't believe in time. Okay, but as a kid, were you bummed because yeah, you sucked. wanted to celebrate? Yeah, I was like, all my friends are having birthday parties and I right. never celebrated. So it was kind of like, but I appreciate it now because it's never limited me. Well, and yeah. It's mindset. Yeah, know? I mean, you're, you're, we're going to get, we're doing chronological, but yeah, we're going to yeah, get yeah. to what you're doing now. And yeah. not, I mean, you're still so young. So you're 30? I just turned 31. Wow, getting old. And you do celebrate birthdays now because you invited me very kindly to like the super fun sounding thing that I couldn't get. Yeah, it's more of like in the last couple of years, I've been in, you know, giving back a lot with some of the money that I've made. And so I've been building schools for kids in need in Guatemala. And so my birthday party was actually like, let's get together and I'm building a school. So I'd love for you to donate money in honor of my birthday. Don't give me gifts. Right. Just give a donation so we can build a school together. Wow. So, okay. So you went, um, you went to college where you played football. Yeah. Okay. So when did you go from like this runt 
ish person yeah. that felt picked on to like uh-huh. to like pro athlete. It was probably like when I was 13, I was just going down the wrong path in, in Ohio. Like my, my brother had gotten out of prison. My siblings, my sisters were off to college. I just wasn't happy in this small town in Delaware, Ohio. Mm-hmm. My parents were miserable. They were together because of us. Mm-hmm. They weren't in love. And so it was just kind of like constant arguing and, you know, screaming. And Are they still together? They're not together. No. Okay. They got divorced when I was 16. But right. it was just like, and again... My childhood, I had food every day. I right. had a great home. Like, it's all perspective. Right. Yes, absolutely. Like, compared to some people in the world, I had it made. Right. But emotionally, I didn't feel like that way. Right. And uh, so I decided to, I met some kids at this summer camp when I was seventh grade going into eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I met these kids in the summer who were just like incredible human beings. I felt like so much love and joy and passion and inspiration from these like little teenage kids. Mm-hmm. I was like, these are the type of people I want to hang out with. Not these kids who I'm like stealing with and like smoking cigarettes with yeah, in my backyard okay. for like a month. Right, okay. But I didn't never even like, it was like disgusting to me, but I was just right. like clueless of what I was doing in my right, life. Right, right. And so I was just doing stupid things and I wasn't fulfilled. And I was like, these are the type of people I want to be around. And they all went to this like private school in St. Louis, Missouri called Principia. Mm-hmm. And so I got back from this like two week summer camp with, you know, and met my family. My parents picked me up from the airport and I go, I want to go to this school. Send me there this year. There's a boarding school. It's like day students in boarding school. So like send me to the boarding school. Get me out of this town. And they were like, no, we're not going to do that. But every day that summer, I was like so enrolling in this idea that I wanted them to send me. Mm-hmm. That They were like, okay, let's, let's apply first and let's see if we can get you financial aid. And like all the pieces fell into place. And then the start of the new year, I was in St. Louis, Missouri at this private school. What? So what year of high school was this? This was eighth grade. Oh, okay. It was middle school. Okay. So there was like a middle school dorm and then a high school dorm. So I went to middle school and this is kind of when things change. You know, I'm, I'm turning into a teenager. I'm like, my body's not this skinny, scraggly, tall. You're a hundred feet tall. What? So is that when yeah, it so happened? Yeah, so I was 6'4 when I was like 13. Right. But I was like 150 pounds or something, you know? So okay. I was like this goofy looking... Yeah, that's hot too. Okay, go on. Go on. <laughs> but I couldn't read. I went right. into this eighth grade, uh, in this private school. It was it was like college. Right. Like the schoolwork was like college, like a like a private college. It felt right. like. And uh, they test you for everything when you go in there. And I'm like, I didn't study at all through elementary school and middle school and public school mm-hmm. when I was in Ohio. Like I could barely get by. And so when I got there, I think I tested at a second grade reading level. And like everything, I was way below average. Everything. But you got into that school. Somehow I got in. Okay, and it, and it was a learning disability that was not diagnosed. I guess not, because public school they don't really do anything. Okay. Yeah, so they put me in like the special needs classes right away. All mm-hmm. through high school, I had a tutor. I was in like the special needs classes, which made me feel even less worthy. Right. And I couldn't read. Like every time the teacher asked me to read out loud, it was just like. I would sweat. I was so embarrassed to read in front of my class right. because I couldn't. I would like the simplest words. They would have to correct me. And but but you were around these kids that you found super inspiring. Super inspiring. Right. Very intelligent and just like big hearts. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to open up mm-hmm. and evolve. But I had all this negative resentment and anger and defensiveness, like constantly. If I ever felt picked on, it was like 
let me open up the chest and, you know, show the alpha male side of me or whatever, the defensiveness of me. Right, right. And uh, that happened for like, you know, probably like seven years. You know, it kind of went away a little bit year by year, but it was definitely like defensiveness, guardedness, like don't mess with me. I'm sick of being messed with. Right. And that's when you kind of started exercising and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I was, I started to develop as an athlete when I went to middle school and started to get recognized with one. Right. Going to high school, I was playing on varsity of every sport my freshman year. Right. Right. So that gave me the confidence to be like, okay, I don't need to be a great student. As long as I'm a great athlete, people are going to accept me. And that's for sure true. And yeah, I just was like, I can be better and better because I want people to accept me. As long right. as I win, right. I'm gonna be loved. Right. And did that did that work, or did it feel like a hole that never got filled? Yeah, it wasn't until I was like in college, because I started achieving everything, every goal I wanted athletically, I achieved it. Basically, I was like, I want to be all state in high school, and I did that in two sports. And I was like, I want to be all American in college. I did that in two sports. But I remember. After being an All-American decathlete, I won like my All-American plaque on the podium or whatever. And then I'm at dinner right afterwards with my coach, some of my teammates and my parents are there and everyone's so happy for me. And I'm like depressed. I'm like, I do not want to be there. I was just like, get me out of this place. I didn't want to be around my parents. I just want to like, be well, alone. Right. I don't know. Cause I think I, I wanted to win for the wrong reason. Right. It was more like, I want to win so I get acceptance or approval or something like that. It wasn't from a place of, I want to see how great I can be and inspire others around me. And also, do you think it was, okay, I told myself I'd be happy when I achieved yeah. this and now I've achieved this and oh my God, it didn't work. It was like the have, do, be mentality. If I have this, then I'll be happy. Right. As opposed to if I be happy, yeah, then I'll create and have what I want. Right, right. And I was completely flipped around because I had, you know, I just figured if I achieved what I wanted. Yeah then I would have what I want. Well, I mean, many people go to their deathbed thinking that. Yeah. So, yeah. but that, and that's sort of what strikes me is that as a seventh grader, you were noticing you were unfulfilled by your friends. I, yeah. I mean, something that's, triggered me to get me out of there. Incredibly mature for, for a 12 year old. That's very unusual. I would say. I think one of my strengths, if I had like a superhuman power, it would be intuition. And I just had like this intuitive feeling throughout my childhood and, and still today. And I just knew I wasn't supposed to be there. But even to even to value that is I think interesting. Mm. I think, I mean, I certainly wasn't like that. Yeah. So, okay, and so then you go to college and you're all American and um, you're achieving things. And then, you, is that when you got sidelined by the injury? Is Yeah, after, uh, in college I broke like three ribs twice and had a number of injuries, but nothing stopped me from competing and playing. It wasn't until I played arena football where I broke my wrist mm-hmm. and then I kind of had to retire and, and stop. So you, so you break your wrist. I, I would, I don't know. I don't know anything about sports. I would think that that wouldn't mean you were necessarily out, but you're out. They took a bone, I played on it for the whole season. So they took a bone from my hip and fused it in my wrist bone so that I could have some like mobility. And, yeah, and I was in a, cured. Yeah, so I was in a cast for six months, like from here to here in this position. And then it took another, basically 12 months till I could fully straighten my elbow oh, okay. and bend my wrist and just do everything. So it was kind of like a couple of years after I had finished, it's gonna be really hard to get back in the game. And I was just beat up. I was like, I'm sick of smashing my head against people's heads. So, and this is the infamous time when you were on your sister's couch. Yeah, for about a year and a half. So yeah. you are, you graduated from college? 
Not at this time yet. Okay, okay. I yeah. eventually did. Okay. I went back for my last like five credits, but yeah, I was. So you're so you're like a dropout. I'm just Basically, you know, yeah. and you're on and you have no money. And you can't do this thing that you've been working really hard to do, your dream. And you're on her couch and you're eating her food and you are only 20? 23, I believe, at this time. Yeah. And and you say to yourself, you don't say to yourself, this it's all over for me. Instead, Mm -hmm. what did you do? (laughs) Well, after a few months of depression and just being like, you know, I thought if I have this thing, then I'll be happy. Yeah. So I didn't have it anymore. So I was like, what do I do now? Yeah. What's my life? And something interesting happened. I would not be here today if, uh, where I'm at today, if w- something did not happen the year prior, which is my dad got in a really bad car accident and he was in a coma for three months. He oh hit his God. head really bad against in the car. A SUV came up in his car and smashed his head open. So... My dad basically for like a couple years, he finally woke up. We had to teach him how to walk and talk and read and write and speak. He couldn't speak for a while and we had to do everything for him. It was like teaching a child how to do everything for the first time again. He had amnesia. He still has amnesia today. Oh he's, he's alive, but it's just, he's just not the same father that, right. I, that, I, that I grew up with and that I knew. And um, so a lot shifted during then. And we didn't know if he was going to come out of it after a couple of years and like evolve or he was kind of like, is he going to make it? Is he not? He's still alive. He's alive now and he's happy. Uh, he's still got some challenges to overcome, but he's, he's, he seems happy. He gets by. He gets by. Own. Yeah. He has a wife that takes care of him. He can't, he can't do it all on his own. Right. He couldn't, he can't drive. He can't do certain things. So. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. And so at this time, my father was like, pretty much, you when you retire with football and everything, you can come work with me. He had a pretty successful insurance company that started to get successful when I was in high school. And he was like, you can take over my clients, you can learn from me, I'll teach you, and you can kind of just like run the business when I retire. So I kind of had this backup plan in my mind, like right. if it all fails, like at least my dad's got my back. Right. And he's gonna hook me up and I don't have to worry about money or whatever, you know, because I'm, right. I'm gonna be set up. Right. So he got injured before I got injured. And I was kind of like, he had no money then. He, yeah. he, he got off his health insurance the year before, so it was like all his money was gone. Oh no. He, had a, he sold his company to his business partner, so there was a buyout, but it was all the money was going to his medical expenses. And there wasn't like, there was no backup plan basically. Yeah. I was basically at the point where I was like, I have no way to make money. Yeah. Didn't, you, didn't he have you go work somewhere this is you, right? And like you maybe fell asleep. Like I swear to God, this was you. You worked in um, an insurance company, and I oh my God, am I really losing it that badly? I did an internship at the same company when I was in college, but it was just boring for me. Did yeah. you not fall asleep there? I don't remember falling asleep. Yeah, okay. it must be someone else. No, it wasn't. <laughs> all I listened to are your interviews. Um, it's all good. So okay, and so you have no way of making money. Yeah, so I'm like I'm broke. I'm on my sister's couch for. A year and a half, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. I'm just trying to figure out like how to be, make my basic needs met. Yeah. Like what am I going to do to get an apartment? Yeah. And provide for food for myself as opposed yeah. to my sister and my family. And she was in LA. Is this where you were? This is in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, 
you know, my brother would give me some some money every now and then just to pay for food. Like my sister would just love and eat her food. Right. They were all there for me, but it was like they had their families as well. So yeah. It's not like they're just gonna like pay for me. Right. Right. And um, it just came to the point where I was like, I need to figure this shit out. I was right. like, I need to figure out how to make money. For a year and a half, I was just online using social media to connect with people to like learn about what successful people were doing how they got to where they were, their mindset, their daily habits, their skills, whatever it may, may be, like what do they do to build their business? And I started interviewing people one-on-one -on -one in person, uh, over the phone, over Skype, just doing whatever I could to get in front of the most successful people. And I thought this was interesting, this is you, that you reached out to them and you didn't ever ask for a job. And you, yeah. then once you met with them, you then kind of would introduce them to other people yeah, that yeah. would be beneficial for them. Yeah, I would ask them like, what's the biggest challenge in your business or your life right now? And they would say, well, we're looking for a COO or a graphic designer or, I'd really like to find a trainer to help me get back in shape or whatever it is. And mm -hmm. I'd be like, well, interesting. I know the top COO, the top graphic designer. I just talked to him last week. So right. I make introductions right then for these people. Right. And so I just try to become like the champion of everyone's network. Right. And be like the all-star that they right. could always reach out to if they needed to get an introduction to anyone or if they needed anything. Right. Any skill like done, I could find that person who had that skill. Right. And that's what I did for... Yeah, a couple of years. I started doing events where I just bring people together. Yeah. And charging for those events to make a little bit of cash. I started, you know, doing some one on one kind of like social media coaching, teaching people about LinkedIn, which is what I was so, using. So, yeah. So, you got in, super into LinkedIn. And, yeah. and, like, I mean, I wanted so much to believe LinkedIn was going away. And now it's like LinkedIn's world and I just live in it. I don't yeah. know how that happened, but you <laughs> saw that or you just happened to be on it. My mentor at the time. You know, I had a few mentors that I was reaching out to just to like for advice about like how right. I live my life right now. Right. Who I'd known from like high school and college who were just always there for me. I was just like, what should I do? And one of my mentors who I really trust still to this day a lot, he was like, why don't you check out LinkedIn? Because I'm hearing about a lot of people getting jobs and opportunities. Right. So I was like, all right, I'll start, you know, I'll do whatever. Whatever right. you tell me, I'll just do it. And I just dove right in for like six to eight hours a day for like a year. Right. Just on LinkedIn, introducing people, connecting with people, researching. How do you do that? Groups. I had all the time in the world. I was so, on my sister's still, couch. I think people would, who have all the time in the world, like look at LinkedIn and they're like, I have no idea how to do that. I mean, here's the thing. I'm My skill is like, I'm very, I'm not a great learner when it comes to like books and things, but it's like. Emotional intelligence is yeah, high. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, I can, if you tell me what to do, I will do it and I'll be the best at it. Like, right. I can figure it out. Right. And he was like, you should check this out. And I was like, okay, right. I'll do it. I'm, I'm going to be a good student and learn everything I can. I was right. researching it. I was just practicing things my own. I was seeing what worked, what didn't work, you know, whatever it would be. I was just like going after it. Right. And, um, and so then you started throwing events. Yeah. And how did you, you have the balls to do this? You just. Yeah, I was terrified. I was like 24 and I was throwing these like little networking events that ended up getting three to 500 people at all of them. But I was like, you know, Twitter was big then, mm -hmm. kind of like blowing up. So people were doing tweet ups. I don't know if you remember this. Oh yeah, they're still doing it. Back in 2008. Right. I remember going to a couple tweet ups and I was like, I should do like a LinkedIn meetup. Right. Because I was building these little communities in different cities of business professionals, these groups on LinkedIn. And they were asking me for introductions. I was like, why don't I just bring them all together and allow them to connect in person? 
So I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue how to run in the vents or how to like do anything, but I was like, I can figure this out. So I called a venue and I was just like, hey, what's the slowest night of the week for you? Mm-hmm. Of like your bar or restaurant. And they'd be like Tuesday or Wednesday. And I'd be like, can I throw an event? Mm-hmm. I don't want you to charge me, but I'm gonna try to bring a couple hundred people. And they're gonna buy a bunch of food and drinks on your slowest night. Okay, but these couple hundred, okay, having thrown an event, having done a storytelling show for two years, and that was great. Unbiased, I'm gonna say it was great. People loved yeah. it. It was so hard to get people to show up. Yeah. That's why I closed it. So how do you get those people I mean, to show up? Again, with eight to 10 hours a day, I was like literally emailing people one by one. I was promoting it like a month in advance and I would, you could send out a, an email to the, all the group members once a week, like yeah. a mass email. So I'd send an email out like, Getting them excited, then I'd be like, oh, there's 200 RSVPs. Make sure you show up, and then more people would RSVP. Yeah. And I would just email people one by one, like copy paste, send a little email. That didn't annoy people, that motivated them? I don't so, think I did it like too much. But yeah. I, I was just like a lot of people I was doing it to. And so, and so they would, and they were motivated to come because they were. You were bringing together people that would be yeah, good. Yeah, quality right. business professionals in that right. city. And at that time, 2008, 2009, the economy was really bad. People were looking for jobs. Yeah. People were trying to get more sales for their business. So they were like, I'll do whatever. Right. So I think it was a combination of timing that I was bringing quality people to these events and not just like riffraff. Right. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe a little luck. I don't know. And so from there, that's when you, then you wrote a book on LinkedIn, right? Yeah, because I was making like a couple grand in cash from these events. I, yeah. I was doing it for free. And then I was like, I got to make some money. Yeah. So I started charging like five, 10, 20 bucks at the door. Right. Then I started having like sponsors have like little tables that they could like promote their company mm-hmm. stuff. Then I was like, all right, how else can I make money? So I asked the, the bars or restaurants if I could take a commission from all food and sales like bar and food sales. So I started getting 10, 15% commission there. Right. Then I was doing some like one-on-one kind of consulting on LinkedIn, like right. for like 100, 200 bucks an hour for people. Like right. LinkedIn profile makeovers. Right. But I was like, I wasn't liking that. I didn't like trading my time for dollars. Yeah. So I, one of my other mentors was like, why don't we write a book together about LinkedIn and networking and how to like leverage real world networking on LinkedIn. Yeah. And so I started selling those at, at the events. At the events and right. like getting, you know. So you self-published it. Yeah, I created a publishing company and worked directly with the printer that prints all the big New York publishers. Okay. And so they're giving it to like a dollar a book or something and we were going around selling it for 10. Right, right. How many did you, how many copies did you print? I, I mean, we were printing, we could print them like a couple hundred at a time. So we right. didn't just ship us books because we were a publishing company so we could get them directly from the printer as many yeah. as we wanted. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I was selling like a couple hundred a night, you know, these. And do those count with BookScan? Do they track? Stuff like I don't that. even know. But you didn't like, care. I didn't care. I was just yeah. trying to make some cash. Yeah. But um, so I started making like three grand a month probably doing these. But they started to get so exhausting. I did 20 of them in a year. Right. And I was just burnt out. And right. I was like, I can't travel anymore. Like promoting them all the way I was doing it just wasn't working for me. Yeah. And uh, I was starting to like freak out. Like how am I going to, you know, I finally, I moved into my brother's house for $250 a month, he was like, allowing me to have a room. Right, where, what city? In Columbus, like uh-huh. me and my sister. So for a year and a half, I lived rent free with her and then I moved 250 a month, I was paying for his right. place. But I only stayed there for like four or five months because shortly after I connected with a guy who asked me to come on and speak on a webinar about LinkedIn. This guy named Joel Kahn, who was you know, a New York Times bestseller and just a big like internet marketing you know, right. master at the time. 
And he asked me to come on. I had no clue what I was doing with this webinar. But at the end of the, I came on this webinar, there were about 500 people on. And at the end, I sold this $150 live LinkedIn training program that I was offering. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the webinar, there was $6,200 in my account, in my PayPal account. And I just freaked out. It was like the most money I'd ever seen in my life. And so what, but you had you created this live webinar? I hadn't created it yet. I was like, I'm going to do this live training next right. week online. So, and, and how do you even do that? Through webinars. Okay. Just like, I'm going to send you a link for this. It was like so bad. I was right. like, I'm going to send you a link for this thing once you buy it. And then I'll tell you the time and when I'm going to do it next week. Right. Then, so you just figured it out. Though. I was just like throwing crap together. Right. I had no clue. Right. And and so webinars yeah. really became how you got, you hit it big. That's how everything shifted. That's when yeah. I kind of had like the aha moment. Like, wow, 6,200 bucks in my account instantly. Yeah. yeah. Without knowing what I'm doing. Yeah. And the next webinar I did was 12500 in an hour. And I was just like, this is, I was freaking out. Right. Like I had never felt that much cash. Yeah. And so what did you do? I was making $250 a week playing football in the Arena Football League. Right, right. And that was the most money I'd ever made. Right. And so to go from that to being broke for a couple of years to making a couple grand in cash a month and then boom, yeah. started doing webinars. I was just like, I could do this every day for the rest of my life. Right. But you can't because no, you burn out. That was my idea. I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Yeah. So for the next like four years, yeah. Were they always LinkedIn webinars? For a while they were LinkedIn and then they were kind of like teaching social media. Then we started publishing experts. I had a business partner on these. So we started like publishing other people who were experts in Facebook and YouTube and teaching those strategies. Then we're teaching blogging and email marketing, like any type of strategies for building your business online, we started teaching. Right. Because people were like, people were requesting that. After I did LinkedIn so much, can they were like, can you tell us more? Right, About right. other things. Right. I was like, I don't know it all, but I know the person who does. Right. And then, but what's also interesting about you is that you, you also sort of decided who you wanted to know mm. And figured out a way to get to them. Okay, like this, the story about how I found you was just that I was over Christmas break last Christmas, like sort of desperately trying to figure out, like, how can I really sell these rehabs on me doing social media for them? I've got to become an expert. Mm. And I and I stumbled on this video of you telling mm. Gary. Vaynerchuk. Yeah, like how he could crush it on, on, LinkedIn. <laughs> on LinkedIn, I guess. And I remember playing this video. My friend was there and she was just like, um, what is this? Because you kept saying boom, or was it boom or something? Anyway, this is like five, six years okay, ago. So I, but I was just that. like, oh, I gotta, I gotta find this guy. And then it turned out we had Facebook friends in common. And then I emailed you, and you very kindly emailed me back and met mm, with me. Yeah. Um, and then everything changed. <laughs> everything did change. It was sort of unrelated. I mean, you basically said to me, you were just. It was a good sort of wake up call. Mm. Oh, I think literally that day was the day I got the the offer, mm. the first offer for my business. But but you basically were like, I, and I'm going, well, I have to call these people. And you were like, yeah, what's the problem? Make 10 calls a day, make 100 calls a day. Don't let your, the weekend come without, you know, having at least five sales. Yeah, that's right. And I couldn't really deal with the fact that, that you were not, like, I wanted sympathy. I wanted empathy. I wanted you to say, um, oh, I'll do it for you. Like, I wanted all of these things, but not that. Mm. But it was a really, that was like why it really spoke to me. And then I said, you know, I want you to be my mentor and coach. And then you said, well, first of all, I'm not available. And second of all, and then you <laughs> quoted the most outrageous price. I mean, it was really not, I mean, you were just like super nice about it. Yeah. But you were like, this 
is what I charge. And yeah. it was not within the realm of possibility. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, for me, trading my time for dollars doesn't make sense anymore. Right. It's gotta be something like, there's gotta be something bigger than that. And sometimes I slip back into it. I'm like, gosh, it's a great opportunity. I could really help this person and I'll charge this and I'll make a lot. But it's just like at the end of the day, that's not how you generate wealth from what I've learned from my mentors. Right, right. By trading time for dollars. doesn't matter how much. I mean, it gets to the point where it's like 50 grand an hour. I'm like, okay, maybe that's right, nice. Right, right. But um, I'm, you know, I can't just tell other people how to build their business and generate wealth if I'm not following my own principles. True. But so, oh, but my point about how you sort of decided who you wanted to know, and now if you do a Google search for you, it says similar searches include Gary, you know, uh-huh. yeah. So my point is that this was like, you made this video to get this guy's attention sort mm, of. Yeah. And then now you're basically on along the same lines, which I think is, again, it's just really ballsy. I just don't mm. think, and, and when I listen to a lot of your stuff and you emphasize so much getting a mentor, some of part of me feels like, and I'm sure you'll argue mm. with this, that it's very male, that it's much harder when you're a woman. A lot of women say that too. They're like, it's hard to find women mentors. Yeah. And uh, someone should develop a site around this. And there probably is something out there, Ooh. but like this the, could be mine. the female mentor network or something, but. I it, it is really, really hard. But then I don't know also if it's, um, you know, I think it, it requires a certain level of humility to have a mentor. And I think I have always been mm. sort of um, like, a little bit, you know how you talked about how you had that defensiveness mm. up for 10 years and or whatever. And everything else. Yeah, I think that it takes a certain level of humility that I didn't really have until very mm. recently. So if any ladies out there who are super successful are listening, now I'm available there to you be go. your mentee. But Yeah, I mean, I got to the point where I was like, I'd rather be successful and, and have humility than be right yeah, but sometimes it doesn't feel like a conscious choice. I, I wasn't aware of that yeah. while it was happening, yeah. you know. Um, but so so you sort of met all these people and then now you go on like super like exclusive little, you know, trips and shit with them where you play <laughs> ping pong and beat them. I don't know. I pick things up. Um, and um, well, I mean, the, the, for me, it's relationships is really where, where I can excel in. Because I didn't excel in school, I didn't. Ex- I don't excel in reading or you know memorizing things or right test like testing. I'm horrible at it. Any test. Well, luckily we don't have many in life. Want <laughs> after school. Yeah, but it's still those like stress me. I just did my driver's license here uh-huh. in LA, and that stressed you out. It, it stressed me out. I failed the first time. Yeah, you, you got You can only miss like five or six. It's or not something. that easy. It's not, and the, no. the questions are confusing. Yeah, the yeah. answers are confusing because I'm like, well, common sense tells you this, right? But the second, I was like, so nervous, so nervous going to this test, and then I failed the first time, and you get like two more try, one more yeah. try or something. I was like, so I sat in the waiting room and just studied for an hour, and I was like, I'm not failing this one, and I took my time and just relaxed, and I only missed one question on the second oh, one. Oh, like see, 40. look at that. So I was like, but it took me forever to finish. Where most people are just like, you know. Right, right. That's not where I excel in. What I, I excel in is relationships. But also, I do think that then you have anxiety around. I mean, then who knows how much the anxiety about I don't test well then exacerbates that, yeah, yeah. you know? Well, you know, over the last couple of years of just really studying emotional intelligence and doing work on myself, I would say I was nervous, but I also was calm. I was like, I'm right. not going to be attached to the results. Right. Like, if I fail then I'm going to fail and I'm going to come back. Right. Whatever. 
And so I didn't have like this complete stress, like taking me over like I used to when I was in high school. Right. It's right. more like, okay, one question at a time, give my best. I know the answers, so just give my best and the results will work. And so you have, you started to learn about emotional intelligence. You don't do therapy, right? No, never. So you don't. Except for this couple stairs, but I did like twice, but yeah. But so, and you don't do like forum or whatever else, do you even know what that is? A landmark? No. Yeah. You don't do stuff like that. You you do this by by reading? No, I did a, I did another workshop called uh, Mastery and Transformational Training. Is that a Tony Robbins That's here thing? in LA. It's not, but I've done Tony Robbins as well. You know. The one I did had some similarities with Tony. Like mm -hmm. Tony had some similar ex exercises that like brought out similar things. But this one was a, a, kind of an intense five day workshop here in LA that- Did we all need to do it? Was it transformative? It was one of the most, five most powerful days of my life. Really? Yeah, and I've had some pretty incredible experiences. Right. But for me, and it might have just been timing, it might have been because I was going through like this breakup. And right, I was, like, you were just ready to I hear. was ready to like, just like experience what I needed to. But that's when I opened up about, something inside of me opened up about this like experience of being raped when I was a kid during this workshop. To them, or that's when you realized well, you that's could when talk I realized, about it? Well, that's when they kind of created the space that I felt like this is something I need to start talking about. Right. And because there was these different exercises we went through, it was like 30 something exercises that to help you uncover how to become, basically achieve your greatness. Like mm -hmm. what's holding you back from achieving greatness and being the leader in your life and your family and your community. Like what's holding you back? I'm so signing up for this as soon and as you. It's powerful. And I was just like, I don't feel like anything's holding me back. You know, my ego was in the way just going in because I was like, right. I'm pretty much achieving everything I want to achieve. You know, I'm, I'm in great shape. I'm like, right. everything I want, I go and get it. Right. Uh, so I realized my ego was in the way. And but then we really looked back and like, you know, family experiences from the past, like our, our thoughts about the future, everything. We looked at everything. Right. And there was a point where a lot of people were just opening up about things that were just like mind blowing. So kind of like their vulnerability gave me right. Make a safe you feel place. Safe, right. And the trainer of the workshop at one point was like, okay, if anyone has anything they want to say, they feel like it's really holding them back. Like now's your time. So we'd kind of gone through a couple of days. I'd got to know some of the people in the, in the, in the workshop. I've, I had a connection with the trainer. I felt like I was trust, trustworthy space. And I was just like, is there anything in my past that I feel like, what you know, I feel shameful of or anything. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't think so. I was like going through all my memories in my head. I was like, this, no, my brother, no, like going to prison, no. Like, I was like, oh, wait a minute. What about that thing when I was raped when I was five that I haven't told anyone about? Oh my God. And so I just thought about it for a second and my heart started pounding. I was like, fuck. I was like, this probably means I should talk about this. Right. But I tried to like blow it off my whole life. Like it wasn't a big deal. Right. Like, so what? It happened. But if, you know, I was like, man. And so I just stood up and then I got in the front of the room uh -huh. and I was like, holy, my heart was pounding. Cause I was yeah. like, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Yeah. And I was very calm. I couldn't look at anyone, but I was just yeah. looking down. I was very calm. And I kind of like walked through step-by-step step, everything that happened. Were you crying? I wasn't crying. I was very, I was kind of a little shaky. I was like trembling a little bit. Yeah. And I go back and sit down and then I just start bawling uncontrollably and 
so grateful that there was two loving women sitting next to me because they just like hugged me mm-hmm. and allowed me to just cry mm-hmm. for like five minutes. I was weeping and I was so scared of what everyone was going to think about me. Yeah. I was so terrified to like look at anyone and the, the train of the workshop, like there was, we had a break right then and I just went outside I was just like basically sprinted. I was like, get me out of here. Right. I was so scared. And uh, I walk out of the hotel, conference room, whatever, outside into like the back alley. Just kind of like put my head against the wall and I'm still crying and just trying to breathe. And uh, I was like, I don't know if I can go back in there. Right. There was a couple of like men in the workshop that came up to me a few minutes later and just looked me in the eyes and they were like, you are my hero. And for me, it's just like, I was still like just crying and like so vulnerable, but it created a, you know, a safer place for me to be like, okay, I can go back in. Yeah. And other men opened up about experiences they had. And it was just like the most moving experience for me to connect with them on this level. Wow. And feel free to share about the experience that happened in my life. Yeah. And then after that, free to share about anything. Yeah. And, uh. And also to not allow an experience to control me right. anymore. And I think that was what was powerful for me to realize like, okay, this is something that has happened in my life and I can be a victim to it mm-hmm. and always react when I feel like people are trying to attack me mm-hmm. and be defensive and guarded. Or I can be responsible for every experience in my life mm-hmm. and look at it as an opportunity as opposed to something that's going to hold me back anymore. And and is just deciding that enough, or do you feel like it still plagues you? Uh, I feel extremely comfortable sharing about it now. I mean, I went through a, a couple month process where I told every family member. Right. What did your parents just? I mean, my my mom was like heartbroken. She was like, "I feel like I failed you as a mother," and I was like, "Listen, mom, you didn't. Like, you had no idea. Right. You were doing right. the best you could." So. Right. And my siblings opened up to me. I mean, it was just like incredibly healing for me. Right. Right. And I think for them. They didn't know, but they gave them a space to be comfortable and vulnerable with me about things that I didn't know about them. Right, right. And so it just created a connection of intimacy that we've never been able to create on that level. Right. So it was extremely powerful. When what? This was a year ago? I think I, I guess I think I opened up about this in probably around like May last year. Okay. Yeah, almost a year, I guess now. Yeah. And yeah. that's when you, okay. And, um, and then I started sharing it to like really close friends. It was really challenging at first to kind of open up to people. Yeah. But, but now it's like, I say it as just like, I had breakfast yesterday. You know, it's and, like. And you made this decision to put it on your podcast. Was that a big decision? Yeah. I've been thinking about it for like four or five months, actually. Right. Because <laughs> I, uh, and it's, it'll be out next week. Um, but, you know, I want to put it out there to continue my healing process. Yeah. But also to help people to come yes. forward with their own. Yes. And not necessarily the need to tell me. No, But no. just to be like, I feel like if I can go through something like that, and again, it's not like it's, there's lots of people who have had experiences like this yeah. that I've connected with. Yeah. So it's, I'm not special or unique in this way. Right. There's probably, you know, I don't even know. I don't know the percentages, but I'm assuming. It's very high. 20, 30%. Yeah. Probably so men. I don't know. But I know. Even more women probably have been sexually abused on some level. Yeah. And, um. And I want people to feel like they can talk about it. Yeah. Because for me, talking about it and just being able to like, 
experience it and not feel ashamed about it anymore has given me a lot of freedom in my life. Well, and also the the message to the people who follow you about not feeling shame about anything, yeah. you know, because shame yeah. is just to- is a completely useless you know, guilt, mm-hmm. that's okay. You know, guilt is, and my other people have said this, and I'm completely maligning what they said, but this is the general thing I've heard. You know, it's like guilt can be useful because guilt can keep you from doing right and wrong. Sure. You know, but shame is just useless. There's mm-hmm. no, you know, because guilt says I've done something wrong. Shame is like, I am wrong. Mm-hmm. And people. Yeah, that's how I felt my whole life. Yeah, and people don't need to ever, ever yeah. feel like that. You know, and I think it's subtle and especially, you know, because mostly it's addicts who listen to this, you know, it's so that's just such a part of of like addiction and having that frame of thinking, you know, you just sort of naturally feel like that. So it takes a lot of work to not, you know, even if you haven't been abused, you know, took me 30 years to realize it. And um, and so and so let's talk about. So then you decided you have had all this success in business. And you can kind of afford to do what you want. And you say, well, really, I want to be uh, an Olympic athlete. Yeah. Okay. And so what was that process? <laughs> well, I mean, my, you know, my childhood dream was to be an Olympian. It was like the most inspiring two weeks of every four years. Right. Watching the Olympics and hearing the stories about like, just how people got to that, that moment, those moments, the journey of them getting there. And, um, you know, I talk about people following and living their dreams and like going after what scares them. And I was like, seems like a pretty big dream to go after. Right. But I still like have this desire inside to, to go for it. Whether right. I make it or not is not what I'm focusing on. What I'm focusing on is the journey of being there. Yeah. Each moment, each opportunity I have. Because okay. life is now. This is all we have. Right. I can't predict what's going to happen this next year, four years from now eight years right but um i just yeah last weekend i just got called up to be on the national team so we're going to and i played with the national team before a year and a half ago so i got called up again to play and so this is handball this is team handball okay and this is a sport that's huge in europe pretty much unknown in the united states right but for those that don't know imagine water polo on a big basketball court without water that's what the sport looks like. Oh, you're playing against each other? Like, yes. So you're taking a ball with your hand. It's like a mini soccer ball. Yeah. That you dribble and okay. you throw and you and you, you you catch it and you pass it and you shoot it into a, a small soccer goal. Oh, this is goalie. not at all what I was picturing. Yeah, it's, okay. not, it's not like the New York handball where you hit a ball against the wall. That's what I thought you were doing. Yeah, no. Okay, okay, wow. And so you found out about this when? When I was on my sister's couch in 2008, okay. I was watching the Olympics. And I just got my cast off and I saw this sport that I'd never seen before in my life that they were playing on TV at like 2 a.m. And I was just like, what is this? I was fascinated. Right. And I said, I'm going to learn how to make money. So that I can do So this. that I can move to New York City. Because there was I was researching teams in the U.S. And there was only a, like a handful of amateur club teams. But the national amateur club team champions was New York City for the last couple of years. Right. So I was like, I'm going to move and go play with the best team and learn from the best and see if I can make the national team to go to the Olympics. So a few years later, I moved to, uh, my business started taking off around this time, yeah. like months later. And I um, I was like, all right, I'm going to check out New York City. But you moved here first. Moved to New York first. Okay, you moved to New York. In 2010. Okay. 2011? Something like that. It was 2010. I would say that, I think. Yeah, 2010. 
2011. There were some cold winters. Is that what happened? The winter after the coldest winter. It was like the most, it was like the hottest winter that year. Okay. And people were like, this is not real New York Right, weather. right. It's might have been 2011. So I moved there for a year and a half. I played with the team and then I make the USA national team in, in nine months after moving. And um, then I moved out here, uh, I guess it's almost two years now, in July, I think. And did you know people here? Yeah, I knew people both in New York and LA from traveling events, social yeah. media, just like whatever. yeah. And yeah. um, and so and so now you're on the team. I'm on the team. There's a 16 man roster. Okay. And they called me up for this tournament. So so what? When is that? So it's in June. Uh -huh. So in June, I'll go to Alabama and train with the team at Auburn University. They have like a residency program where all the players, a lot of the players, are at right now. I'll train there for a week. Then we'll go to Brazil for a week to, um. to do some. Uh, some game practice games, mm -hmm. and we'll go to Uruguay for the Pan Am Championship tournament. And then, if you win that, what happens? If we get top three, we go to the World Championship in Qatar, which I, I just heard yesterday it's pronounced Qatar. It is? I never knew That's that. That's what someone told me. They're okay. like, well, it's actually pronounced Qatar. Let's get a second opinion. So, who knows? That. Yeah. But Qatar. Okay. So, it's basically like the World Cup of handball. And, it's a huge deal. And is it televised? And It'll be televised all over Europe. Right. We're probably not here. It'll be online, like, a, yeah, live online. Um, and so that's your focus right now. That's your passion. You know, my, my life is, I want to have it all. Yeah. I want to show myself that I can have everything I want, that I don't have to be limited to only focusing on one thing. Yeah. That I can find a win-win in every situation and, um, that I can have it all. And I think some people say, you know, you can only put your attention here if you want to be great at something, or you can only put it here or your only relationship or whatever. But I'm like. Why I mean, can't we have it all? You're proving that to be untrue. That's that's yeah. one of the reasons I find you inspiring. Thank you. And so and so for people who don't know your podcast, The School of Greatness, mm -hmm. um, that's something you put out every week, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you interview a guest about what makes them great. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you do like a solo where you I just do. talk into the mic. I do. I've only done a couple of those. I want to start doing the more of those. Yeah, that was a really interesting. Yeah. So I'm gonna start doing more of those. But um yeah, to kind of like go off your first couple sentences of this interview where it's more of a spiritual, a lot, yeah. of more, a lot of them are very more spiritual or emotionally connected than what you think. And I think uh, I just, I'm like a good Trojan horse. I try to bring people in thinking they're going to really learn one thing, like how to make this yeah. much money or whatever, but yeah. it's really a much deeper thing on how to like achieve whatever it is. Well, because one of your messages is very much be of service, of which is like one of the main tenets of recovery too. Yeah, is it? Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. I mean, because alcoholics come in and I know for me, it's just like complete self-absorption and having yeah, no focusing idea. Out. And not getting and thinking that like helping someone else is what it's taking away from my time, yeah. you know, thinking yeah. it's gonna make you happier to mm. not do that. How many tenants are there? Well, that's just an unofficial, that's like not really well, I guess the twelfth step is really about that. But it's like mentoring someone else. Yeah, right? yeah. exactly. So, but it's it's part of that you're supposed to be thinking about every day, basically. Wow. Anyone you interact with. I mean- How I'm, to serve them, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I live my life, I feel Yeah, like. I mean, it seems like that sort of came naturally, mm. you know? Well, I think always being like, feeling unloved. Right. As a kid, I was always like, wanting to give and give. But that's and like, different. That giving to be yeah. liked and that being of service are True. different things. They evolved over time. Right. Because right. that's I started to get like acknowledgement and everything. I just liked giving. Yeah, exactly. It just felt good to give. Yeah. Know? So I was, I didn't need it to get anything in return. I just right. liked right. giving. 
And so, okay, so you have your podcast, um, which everyone should be listening to. And and then you also have your academy. Is that is that happening still? School of Greatness Academy. I was yeah. gonna join at one point. I don't know what happened with that. I don't know if I made the cut. <laughs> Did you apply? I don't know. You said it. You said you apply. I, okay, I have to apply. <laughs> it's an application process. Yeah, it's for entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs that want to take their business to the next level. Yeah. Uh, then I've got a product coming out. Yeah, I've got products. I've got books I'm working on. I've got lots of things. And you have a book on webinars too. I've got a book on webinars and LinkedIn on Amazon. You can check out. You know. Yeah, I'll put links to the, to yeah. those. I'm also going to buy those probably. Not that I'm a little over LinkedIn, but the webinar thing, that's yeah. inspiring. It's fun. Yeah. Um, is there anything else? And um, people can find you on Twitter. I wouldn't yeah, say just, you tweet all the time. Yeah, I tweet a couple times a day. Yeah. yeah. Instagram, I'm a big fan of. Oh, you're an Instagram guy. I'm at Lewis Howes anywhere online. But yeah. LewisHowes.com, you can find all that stuff. And what about TV? You did have, are we allowed to talk about your little reality TV stint? Talk about whatever, yeah. I mean, I'm not really proud of it, but it was it was a fun little experience. It happened to be a show that I was completely obsessed with because oh, I knew two of the three women That's on right. it, but not the one that. You knew they, Emily and Julia? Yeah. Allison, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was an experience. I'll say that. What was it called? Misadvised. Misadvised. <laughs> yes, you were on it. Um, and um, yeah, and he's a very handsome fellow for those who are just listening and have no idea. You just know that he's 6'4". Yeah. Um, and a pro athlete. So you guys, go check him out. That's all I got, unless you got something else. I'm good. Awesome. Thanks for allowing me to uh, speak openly. Thank you for doing it. It really was amazing. Mm -hmm.